0: Welcome to the Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary.
1: Hi, I'm Bill Hendricks, Executive Director for Christian Leadership at the Hendricks Center. And I want to welcome you to this edition of the Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Today I have with me Paul Son, who is from Biola University, a a longtime sister institution, I guess you'd say, to Dallas Seminary. And uh, many of our graduates have taught there, and many of our students have come from Biola. It's a great school. And uh, at Biola, uh, you are at the Kroll School of Business, where you are the director of strategic career initiatives uh, for Kroll. Tell us more about what that means. I can guess, but yeah, well, uh, you know, one one of our
2: visions, uh, really, for the business school is to be a leading Christ-centered business school in the nation, and I think for us to achieve that, we really have to help. Our students discern their sense of calling, hmm. and also connected with potential job opportunities, whether it's um, internships, different career opportunities. So the whole uh, role is uh, was birthed out of that vision, and how can I specifically, as someone who has a big heart for young people, to discern their
1: calling, kind of lay out a roadmap for them to understand what that process might look like. So this is different from like you're not just a career placement office right 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 absolutely i mean a lot of schools have that mhm and you're you're thinking in much much bigger terms. The issue yes. is not just your job; it's a right. vision for what are you going to do with your life. Yes, it's about life purpose, I guess.
2: Yeah, I think that's a big part because oftentimes, just the career, services um, they they provide interview skills and building your resume, all are important uh, issues to uh, address. But I think the deeper question that, especially this generation, asking is, you know, why am I here? What is my purpose? What right. is my calling in my life? And right. um, I think you know. The university understands the need for it, and that's been my heart. So I just joined about four months ago, um, full time at the Biola University. So really been a fun journey so far.
1: Well, and so your own story, I think, kind of illustrates what you're talking about. Uh, You've got your job at Biola, Mm -hmm. you know, and and that's what you're paid to do. uh, But what you are made to do, the the sense of calling. you on one of your websites you you talked about you're committed to empowering 20 somethings to discover their god-given identity and calling yes that's that's your purpose in life yeah that's my purpose and i've been th- you know going through
2: this journey for the last probably uh, seven, eight years, asking God and myself, God, how did you design me? Oh, why am I here? What is the purpose of my life? And uh, if I if I were to summarize it in a sentence, it, that's really it. It's about focusing on millennials and the emerging adults, those in their 18 to early 30s, and helping them understand their unique design and mm-hmm. be grounded in the identity in Christ. Mm-hmm. And then also propelling them to to live out their calling in their lives. That's been something that I've been spending a lot of time thinking about and writing about and just sh- sharing with others.
1: Yeah. So, why do you think it is that um, that burning question, uh, "What should I do with my life? Why am I here? What's my purpose?" What does that seem to come together so much in in somebody's twenties?
2: Yeah, that's a great question, Well, I think uh, we're living in a very interesting time because compared to even to my parents' generation or my grandparents' generation, there weren't really that many options, right? right. You just kind of did what your parents told you to do, and there were not that um, number of different opportunities. Even in college, maybe there were a limited amount of uh, uh, majors, majors yeah. and opportunities, but today there's so oh, many yeah. different yeah. opportunities. And, and
1: more on the way all the time. Absolutely. With new technologies,
2: the type of change we're seeing in this yeah. world is just mind-boggling. They say that today uh, the millennials and the next generation they're living in a, a VUCA world, which is a acronym for uh, V is volatile, and U is uncertain, and then C is complex, and A means ambiguous. So mm. that's the world that a lot of the next generation are living in, wow. and it's it's a uh, so much change and I think in the midst of that they're trying to identify what is my purpose they want to understand that their life matters and they're, they're holding on to things that often are from this world that are that leave them very empty yeah um, so I think that
1: question continues to come up. Well and of course for many young people, young adults, the narrative that they've the dom- one of the dominant narratives that they've grown up with, is that we're basically here by random chance, right? And you you sort of think about that, and then you you think, you know, so what's my contribution? And I mean, depending on how you see it, it basically your only real contribution is to make a contribution to the the gene pool, hmm. and after that, it kind of thins out, and and and. The ramifications of whatever you contributed really won't be seen until you know millions of years later. Hmm. I don't know how you build a life of meaning and purpose out of that, right. But the notion that no, there there's actually a God and he's a yeah. person, and yeah. he created you as a person because he wants to have a relationship with you. yeah. And in fact, look here, he's designed you for a very specific and and personal purpose in this world to to cause the world and its people to flourish hmm. that that's a different narrative.
2: Yeah, it is a different narrative, and uh, my, my goal is how do I help them to see their life as a story where God is the author of our lives, and mm. He's also inviting us to be a co-author. Like, we're not just being a passive audience, but God wants us to understand that we play a significant part of our story, and I think the biggest thing is uh, when I talk about calling, Um, We're living in a world where it's all about me, 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 me. That's why millennials are often called the me, me, me generation. But calling is rarely about me or you. It's about the caller. It's about God, who is the designer, the author, and creator of our lives. And he's, he's inviting us into a relationship. And for us, we have to understand that we're not the center of the world. Mm. And I think that's a big part that I want to convey especially with young people who are seeing things all from the perspective of me and that's when it
1: they understand that it it, it leaves you wanting. Yeah. Now you've packaged kind of what for you has become a, a life message uh, particularly in a book entitled Quarter Life Calling Right. Pursuing your God-given purpose in your 20s. Um, I can't help but ask if, if there's any sort of relationship in that title uh if you're sort of riffing off the book halftime,
2: <laughs> <laughs> I've been influenced by Bob Buford's book halftime, and I uh, actually really enjoyed it. But I realized that uh, when I read it in my twenties, all my friends they were wrestling with a very similar version of halftime, but happening in their twenties. Right. Um, and many would uh, experience a quarter life crisis, wow. which is like a midlife crisis, but it's yeah, happening a lot. Yeah, twenty years earlier. Yeah, twenty years earlier. And <laughs> right. uh, you know, in fact. One study from LinkedIn said 75% of those who are between the age th- 27 to 33 have experienced a quarter-life crisis, mm-hmm. and it's created this uh, so much anxiety, so much depression, and a confusion of your identity of who you are, what you're supposed to do, and there there's really not many resources out there to help these this this, this group of people who are who are wrestling with that. So my my premise is in your quarter-life crisis, this is a perfect opportunity to discover your quarter-life calling. And the earlier you start thinking about your calling and you know, to start living out that calling, then you don't have to go through a midlife crisis. Mm, right. um, so that, that's really my, my thoughts, is how can I provide practical tips and exercise
1: and activities for young people to start think about these important issues? Well, you're you're validating a a, a a notion that I've had for quite some time. The the model, uh, you know, for the boomers was you know you, you experiment in your twenties and you finally land on a job and then and then you work in that career for thirty years, right? And you kind of make a deal, as it were, with the corporation that you're gonna you're gonna work and then they're gonna pay you and then you get your life back, you know, when you retire, right? Right. And of course, Bob. Buford came in there and and he turned 40 and he's like I got all the money I need but I, I want to do something significant right so Peter Drucker you know who knew more about management than anybody else in the 20th century was his mentor and said mm. um, well you you need to move from success to significance mm. you, you need to start giving your life to uh, particularly social sector work and to to benefiting the world in ways that are not necessarily Monetized, right? And so, of course, he he did all that. Um, but millennials, uh, who came of age, you know, just in the, in the last ten years or so, fifteen years. I mean, they they said we're not waiting. We we want meaning and purpose now. Sure. And and it makes sense that they would. Yeah. And and so you're you're saying the statistics really sort of validate that. But yeah,
2: it. yeah, it does, and I think because of, especially with the next generation, we're seeing all these um, keywords like mental health, anxiety, depression, and uh, there's a, a lot of different factors that contribute to that, mm-hmm. but definitely one of them is a question that many young people are asking, why am I here, who am I, uh, questions of identity and calling are, are are probably one of the most predominant themes that I've seen with it.
1: Yeah. It's it's
2: almost I guess you'd say
1: a predictable life stage now.
2: It is, and they're calling it emerging adulthood. Yeah, uh, literally between the age of eighteen to thirty, and it's uh, considered a time of your kind of caught in between. So many those emerging adults would, if they were uh, asked the question, um, "Do you feel like you're an adult?" and the answer would be yes and no because they, they feel like an adult because right. now they have the ability Physically, to yeah, yeah to do to be there, have their own control of their lives but at the same time uh, things are going so fast and they don't really understand what does it mean to grow up as an adult so the whole adulting kind of uh, word and term kind of exploded. What does it mean to be an adult? Um, a lot of times because of technology they just kind of do things very uh, in a very digital easy way but then you know, life sometimes doesn't Work
1: that way all the time. Yeah. So it's like, how do I navigate around that? And so this is a good segue to explain how it is that I uh, met Paul, because it, what you're opening up the door to here is the sub- subject of mentoring. Right. How do I become an adult? And what I'm going to suggest is that mentoring is is one of the primary ways that that happens. Um, it just so happens that that I too had recently come out with a book called Men of Influence. Uh, the Transformational Impact of Godly Mentors, and that uh, was a sequel or a, a updating of a book that I had done with my dad called As Iron Sharpens Iron, Building Character in a Mentoring Relationship. And Paul had uh, seen that book and asked me to uh, do an interview on your podcast. And by the way, I might just mention here in passing, we, we actually have a, a rock star here on the program of, of podcasting with us. Um, you know, you you've got uh, uh, your blog ranked number 15 mm-hmm. of the world's top leadership blogs. Uh, on an average month, you got 100,000 plus visitors, viewers. Uh, so thank you for your work. Well, and, thank
2: uh, you. Uh, it's been it's been a fun journey. And uh, when I started blogging, I had no idea yeah. this could be an outlet for me to share my my thoughts, my heart about leadership and the next generation. But now it's been over a almost a decade i think and it's just been a great outlet for me to interact with people i've i've met so many people just through blo- my blog yeah. and developed great friendships and great relationships so it's been it's been a fun journey so
1: how would you articulate the importance of the need for mentoring for yeah. emerging adults young adults
2: it's it's vital it's non-negotiable in my opinion because more and more, this generation is characterized by living in a fatherless generation. Right. Um, so without a father who needs to play many roles, but one of them being a mentor, mm-hmm. many young adults uh, are... Living a life without any sort of a healthy godly role models. Mm. and I think that is causing so much havoc in our society mm. uh, with even with anxiety, depression, so many issues that we're seeing is all stemming from a broken family. So to me, the importance of mentoring is huge. And even uh, young people who may not have any idea of what they could become, mentors could serve as a role model who, who are living out their life in a way where people can look up and aspire to become like them as much as they're biblical individuals like Daniel, Joseph, Moses, but like these are living examples and maybe someone who comes from the same faith background, same ethnic background and when you have people like that and the, the conversations you have, it really sticks with you. Yeah, And even for me, I can remember a number of times where I've had a number of mentors who who share certain things that just are etched into my heart. Right, And I feel like that's a huge Need for young adults to understand the importance of mentoring, but not only to understand it, but actually do something to cultivate that relationship.
1: Now, I'm 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 sort of listening to what I perceive to be uh, the thoughts of, of countless listeners at this point. Okay, yeah. If 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 the listener is under uh, probably thirty, uh, let's say even thirty five, they're hearing this and they're thinking, that's exactly what I need as a mentor. Mm. Well, where can I find one? Like, where are they? You know? Like, there's no website where you can go sign up for one. And then anybody who's probably over about 45, 50, uh, they're sitting there thinking, boy, those guys are really right. We need mentoring more than ever. Um, But, man, I certainly am not qualified to do that. Yeah. How would you respond to that? That... Yeah.
2: Well, yeah. That, that's that's a really good issue, and I think, f- at least from the the millennial side and next generation, part of it is uh, when you think about mentoring. Uh, there's number of types of mentors. So right. for me, I've always been an avid reader, and there's people that I specifically love to read some of their work. And for example, one is uh, any books by Ravi Zacharias, like I've been a huge fan of his and consider him a mentor even though I've, Really, never had a personal mentoring relationship. So, mentors doesn't just have to be. You can
1: mentor from yeah, afar.
2: Yeah, right, absolutely. So, I mean, to to understand just the idea of what mentoring looks like, I think you have to first think about mo- multiple different types of mentors. But when we think about maybe more of in person mentors, I would just start <coughs> by thinking about what type of mentors do you need. What are you looking for mm-hmm. for a mentor? And I think that's where you you share its competency is important, but more importantly is character. Yeah, Because we're living in a world where there there are more leaders who might be competent, but they lack the character. So uh-huh. I always say, look for character. But also, if you feel like there isn't anyone immediately in your f- first degree of relationships, I would think about a profile of someone that you would love to be mentored by. And maybe you, you don't immediately know who that is, but why don't you start asking people that you know. If they know anybody exactly, you like Exactly, and they will have people that they know, and it's just leveraging the power of relationships there. Right. But also with the next generation, social media is like our you know, co- communication channel now. So using social media and maybe finding people uh, based on whether it's LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram, people that you feel like some this is someone I can look up to and learn from, and just simply make the first step, send a direct message or leave a comment and start building relationships. And sooner or later you'll start having a phone call and that turning out to be a monthly call and maybe meeting in person. And that's how it really works. Yeah. Just building a friendship. Absolutely. It's one step at a time. But I think many people feel like oh, I'll have to be part of this formal mentoring program or relationship and they're looking for where some, a website to sign up, but right. oftentimes
1: it builds more organically and naturally. Well, those are the best ways to do it is that informal relational dynamic. Obviously a lot of companies and organizations have formal mentoring programs and right. you get assigned. And it sounds good in principle, but of course... You have this mysterious thing called chemistry. Exactly, you know. And I might hit it off with you, and I might not. And if right. I don't, I mean, I'll show up because it's a, it's it's a requirement of employment. But I mean, uh, I may or may not get much out of it. I, I I appreciate what you're saying because I I again I think that we've we've created this sort of mythology around mentoring, and of course the word mentor itself comes from uh, the epic poem The Odyssey. And there's a, there's there's a character in there named Mentor, and and what's interesting is everybody thinks, oh well, see, the Mentor in there, he he was mentoring Telemachus, and 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 you know that that's the prototypical mentor. But when you do some research, you discover the mentor that's in the Odyssey really isn't like that. That's not mm. at all his his role in there, and that the view that we have of mentoring today actually came from a 15th century uh, 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 mystic. Christian mystic in in France named Francis Fenelon and he mm. he he took mentor from the Odyssey and he created a whole new character out of him mm. because Fenelon was mentoring or uh, he, he was the tutor to the future kings of France right and so he wanted to show what a perfect royal you know king or queen you know would be like and he has mentored this. Wise sage travel around with with young Telemachus to show him how he's going to end up ruling, and and so you know this myth of the the wise man, the smart man, that that mentor has all this all this wisdom and knowledge and knows the answer to every question, hmm. and the result is for a lot of people they think oh I could never be a mentor you know I don't I don't have all the answers, that's the point yeah. Is most of the questions that I find any knowledge worker is asking is some form of the statement, "Hey, I don't know what I'm doing here." Right. I mean, I, I don't know which job to take, or, or which path to even pursue. I don't know who 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 do I hire? Uh, how do I make this decision? Hmm. You know, how do I solve this problem? And what they're most looking for is somebody to come alongside and say, "Well, tell me about that." Mm-hmm. You know, and just listen, and then say, "Well, you know." Um, I've not faced that situation exactly, but, you know, here's one that I have faced, and here's some of the things that occurred to me, as mm-hmm. you were telling me, here's some people over here that faced something like that, and here's kind of what they did, and if I was in your shoes, I'd be asking this question and this question, and I'll tell you what, armed with all that, why don't you go decide what you're going to do, yeah. and I'll walk with you alongside it, and let's just see what happens. Yeah. And they never used the word mentor in there. But that's effectively what they've done. They've they've yeah. they've had an an impact, an influence, they've rubbed off on this other person. That's mm. really what mentoring is about. One life is gonna rub off on another life, which is why the character piece is so important.
2: Yes, I, 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 I resonate with everything you said because I think one of the best things a mentor can do is just to believe in the mentee. Absolutely. And that's so important because when you have someone who Believes in you, it, it just there's some something that goes on inside of you that transforms you, and it's almost like wow, like I am known, mm-hmm. and someone believes in me. Mm-hmm. And many times, you know, for example, for me, I may not even believe that I can I can do it, kind of like Gideon, like who am I? You know, I don't have the qualifications. Correct. But if there's someone who believes in me and sees things inside of me and is affirming things, then it gives me this renewed sense of confidence. As well as hope. Absolutely, so uh, I think it's so important that when, when mentors, when you truly believe in someone, because maybe you've been in the same kind of seat as they were in and similar, similar uh, transition points or problems that they faced, it really could change a person's uh, legacy uh, and their entire future of, of life. You know.
0: This episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there.
2: Uh, I, I am reminded of the story of Thomas Edison, and uh, who happens to be one of the greatest you know, inventors of America. All All right. And the story goes where when uh, Thomas Edison was about six or seven, he went to school and brought a note to his mom. And mom's like, what, what is this note? And Tom Edison says, I don't know. My teacher said to give it to you. So the mom opens the note, and suddenly she breaks out of tears. And young Tom Edison was so shocked. Like, what does it say, mom? And the mom says, uh, the note says that your son is a genius. Mm. And he doesn't have we don't have instructors to instruct him. So you need to instruct yourself <laughs> at home. So his mom kinda, you know, helps him, you know, and Tom Edison just kinda roams around, explores in, in poor his poor mom, yeah, well, right. Of He's trying, news, to, bad news. trying to trying to, you know, educate this uh, genius. genius. Um, you know, uh, but you know, long story short, uh, because of probably uh, his mom, you know, Tom Edison became who he became today. Yeah. But years later, after uh, His mother died, Uh, Thomas Edison was rummaging through his mother's belonging, and he found a note tucked away in a book. Mm -hmm. And when he read it, he broke out of tears, because the note didn't say that at all. It said that your son is mentally ill, and we don't have the instructors to instruct him, so you have to instruct yourself at home. Oh, wow. And as I thought about that, I mean, just think about... Just the power of the mom who, who believed in, in her son more than anybody else when the world and the teacher said, this, this guy is hopeless. Mm-hmm. I, I truly believe there's something. God has put something inside of you that I, I'm going to pray into it. I'm going to call it out. And I think calling out the greatness that God has stored inside of us when it seems so hidden is one of the greatest things that could happen. And when I read read that story, it reminded of my story because growing up um, in Korea uh, in America, I moved around as a third culture kid. But when I was in Korea, I was struggling to learn the language um, you know I came from America so the culture was so foreign and you know academically you know the Korean education yes. is very hyper competitive yes. they rank you so every single time I feel like I'm just a nobody yeah and I would tell my mom at age you know 9 10 11 that I don't want to go to school I feel like I'm a loser. Yeah, there's no hope for me. Um, That that continued for years, Mm. and um, you know, my mom always would say, "Paul, no, I I truly believe that you have uh, a destiny God has for you, and you're gonna be." gradually improving. Mm. So there's a word, a Korean proverb, which means uh, uh, it's and it literally means throughout time, you're going to become better and better and better and better. It's not an exponential growth, but over time, you're going to get better and better and better. And I always told my mom, like, what are you talking about, mom? Like, I don't even <laughs> see that about myself. But what what do you see? What do you mean? But she continued to believe in me when mm. everyone else didn't. Wow. And as a result of that, I truly am indebted to her to become who I am today because there was someone who believed in me when I didn't even believe about myself. And I, I really want everyone who's listening to understand that there is someone who's believing in you. And for you to understand that, and and if you're a mentor, potential mentor, and maybe there are people that really God is uh, putting in your heart that you need to invest more into that young person, it's not about what you know. It's that God has given you this burden, this holy discontent, and it's for you just to spend time, be a friend, believe in that person,
1: and let God do the rest. Well, that's the thing about mentoring. You you always. Have to know that God is already at work inside the life of this other person. Yeah. Okay. No matter even how dark and desperate things may appear, the very fact that God's got you in proximity to this person, that ought to be a signal to you Hmm. that that's not by accident. God has put you together. Yeah. If you have the Spirit of God living inside of you, uh, you, you, God has put you in that situation, and you can trust that He's already at work somewhere in this other person's life, yeah. and and so then you start looking for well, where might that be, and of course one of the first places you can start is with how God has designed that person, their giftedness as we would call it, and what is it that they do well? What do they enjoy doing? Because they live inside their skin, they don't see that. Yes, you see it, and you're right. like, this kid's a genius. Yeah but they don't yeah. see it they think it's just yeah. normal they wouldn't think of doing life any other way so if you name yeah. that if you yeah. call that out you yeah. go hey the way you wrote that report this is the best report i've ever seen yeah. and i've been at this game for 30 years oh no anybody could do that no 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 you you, you i don't think you realize i i think you have a gift in that yeah. has anybody ever told you that yeah that, yeah, it's that simple. It, it is.
2: And I, it's such a good point because, you know, one of the epidemics that I think is just plaguing this generation is, is what, what I call OCD, obsessive comparison disorder. Mm, and know. this comparison uh, that is happening constantly, thanks to, you know, social media, uh, really has created this idea that I'm not good enough. And you might be talented and you might have these giftings, uh, but many many young people are like no there's always someone better than me so i'm not that good and you know it could be like shown as a maybe like a false humility but part of you know humility i believe is understanding that god is the one who's who's put that gift in this inside of you and for you to really recognize that and to steward that is a big part of the process but because young people they're always comparing and if you think about it Just an average millennial is spending two and a half hours a day on social media. Hmm. And that may not seem a lot, but if you think about that, accumulating for an entire year. Just think about the countless hours and you know decades and so that conditions your brain and your mind, thinking that what you see on the screen right. is a reality when you look in your own life and you see the the discrepancy or you see the 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 comparison of all your friends who seem to be doing amazing things in life. Right. And you're like, I'm just kind of lost. going through the motions, <laughs> I'm lost, I don't know what to do. Yeah.
1: Um so it, it, it's a big part of it. So in talking about this whole thing of, of mentoring, um, you mentioned that that, it's, that it's, it, it can just be a relationship, and it just builds over time. Um, it seems to me there's there's a couple of layers, though. You know, some things are what I'd call maybe top level issues. Uh, if I uh, you know, need to learn how to have a budget. If I need to learn um, how to hire someone, right? You know, if if I need to learn a, a skill of some sort, that's a top level issue, and so I go find somebody that's got some competency in that, mm-hmm. and I, they begin to show me the ropes and so forth. But the character thing is important because as they're showing you the ropes, as they're letting you try your hand, as they're giving you feedback and encouragement. Mm they bring all of who they are right and so their their own personhood is is now accessible to you and you you start to it's really starts at, a, at a, i guess almost an intuitive feeling level but you just notice there's a certain kindness maybe in their voice or there's, mm. there's a certain authority they have or a certain respect that they have or a certain way that they relate to people and you just huh you know it's that kind of a thing and and you find yourself sometimes, uh, if if it's going somewhere, you're going. I want to be like that, hmm. and you may even start to emulate that part of it. Yeah, and you don't even know that's going on, and it's not until years later, and this person's not even in your life anymore. You know, they they got you know another job somewhere else, and you haven't really been able to keep in touch. And then one day you're thinking, and you're going, "Man, I wouldn't be who I am today were it not for that guy, hmm. that person." And uh, and so mentoring takes place at this external level, but the deepest stuff is taking place at levels that we're usually in the moment not not even aware of. Yeah. I think, you know, in
2: today's age, you can Google any information. You can Google exactly. all, all the the knowledge content part of it. But character is something you can't just Google. Right. Like, you, you have to live it out, and it requires uh, perseverance, uh, often trial and pain and adversity in life. And uh, having someone who, who's been there, who's more seasoned in life and has a number of various experiences who can guide you through this process and really be a voice maybe of a spiritual guide and a mentor uh, is so vital because Google Siri they can't do that for you you know uh, but a, but a mentor who has the best interest for you and who is not afraid to share the truth and love um, that that is a type of p- powerful transformation that can happen
1: absolutely in so I I wanted to get into one other thing that I saw as I did a little Preparation for our time together, yeah. and I, I was really, I couldn't get past this statement you said. My vision is to see more Christian leaders rise to the top of the seven spheres of culture. Yeah, what are the seven spheres? I think I know, but right for the right. benefit of our listeners. So, seven
2: spheres um, really are. Uh, Part of what the do- different domains, some some like people okay. call it, or uh, sectors of what comprise culture. So that could be uh, business, uh, you know, the whole entrepreneurship finance area. Mm-hmm. It could be education. It could be government. It could be family. Uh, religion, uh, media, arts, arts. entertainment—so those are okay. those are different areas where my hope is: what would it look like if we had more leaders who understand and are grounded in their identity in Christ, and understand the role they play in the kingdom of God, who goes with this missional mindset to be salt and light. And uh, to, to really affect change in the society, um, there, there's a huge impact because in some ways, they may not think about it, but later on, they become mentor figures yes. to many of the young generation. Then they could become people who are living out their God-given values in the field that God's given uh, in their field. So uh, for me, is uh, I'm always thinking about how, how does that process work? Uh, what can I do? What, what specifically uh, can I contribute to
1: that? Well, we're sort of back th- there to the uh, inspirational piece that that happens when you affirm someone and you encourage them and you you tell them uh, that you believe in them. Because I know for many people, when they when they are starting out in their career, not only do they not really know where they're going. I mean, they 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 nobody knows the future. Hmm. But they're usually at the bottom of the food chain. You know, they're doing the menial work. Yeah. They're putting in the the eighty hours a week to to do the grunt work. You know, and they're thinking, man, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna, you know, rise in right. in this field. And they don't they don't see their potential, and so they get discouraged. Mm-hmm. What you're trying to do is to say, oh no, man, you may be in your salad days now, but God's yeah. got plans for you.
2: Yeah, God has plans for you, um, and what I'm I'm not saying that you have to be a CEO. Yeah, right. I'm not saying that you have leaders. To,
1: leaders all right. through the up and down the food chain. Exactly,
2: and you you might be someone where people not value you or or see you as a, an incredibly influential person, but. You still have a circle of influence, whatever area you're in. That's right. And Even if it's just your cubicle. Absolutely, absolutely. And
1: you, you have control over that cubicle to yes. a large extent. So what goes on there? Yeah you can you can bring kingdom impact, yeah,
2: kingdom and it's so true. And even today's age, the word influence, I feel like is changing because there is now social media influencers. So <laughs> it's people who have so a lot of following on Instagram or Facebook. Right. And they're like, I'm a social media influencer. But really, <laughs> like, I think the greatest influencers are teachers. Hmm. but nobody sees the teachers today as an influencer today. Right. But I mean they have incredible amount of influence, but because you know the cultural zeitgeist and how things are moving today, uh, people are using these words in different ways. but really whatever wherever you are, you, you have an influence, and God's giving you this influence, and what are you going to do with it? That's the question. And I want to help and guide and equip leaders and the next generation leaders to see just beyond the next few years, but thinking about the next 20, 30 years, what that might look like.
1: Well, I love that, taking the long view. I think so much of our culture uh, causes us to want pretty quick and instant results. Yeah. We want it now. We don't want to wait. We're impatient. And uh, and yet, you know, you you you. Uh, if you step back and 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 think about it, so much of the things that have consequence um, happen over not just years but decades and and even generations. Yeah. You know that I, I think for my own part, uh, maybe it's because I'm getting older, but I I think, uh, uh, you know, what am I passing along to? my children and then my grandchildren mm. it it there's many things i don't think i'll see in my time yeah but if i deposit and invest today some seeds of influence in in hearts and in minds mm. those could sprout up and have significant consequences you know several generations from now i mean yeah. let's just remember the church itself began with 120 pretty scared people in an upper room mm. not not exactly a force to be reckoned with mm. Once they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to do what Jesus told them to go do, which was to make disciples. They ended up taking over a whole empire, but it still took four hundred years. Right. And if you do the math, and, and a guy down at Baylor has it's a fascinating study. He he's got you know factual evidence from that time. He, he can demonstrate it. It it's for the first three hundred years, Christianity almost doesn't even show up on the horizon. It's just mm-hmm. a blip. On the radar and then and then there's like a critical mass hmm. right there, around three hundred or so, and it, it's like a hockey stick of growth of churches and so forth and and you know that that's that's about as profound as you get hmm. and I, I think we need to be taking that long view when it comes to yeah. developing leaders and and having generational influence yeah. Absolutely, I think that
2: uh, thinking long term uh, is incredibly important in today's instant gratification world that we're seeing. And as people think about decades, which I think God often works in decades, not just yes. months, you know, and to, to understand what it means to live your life with patience and uh, a lot of those things, you know, millennials they they naturally do not like it because everything's conditioned for short term, right? right? <laughs> so being able to cultivate that is a significant. Significant part of the sanctification process, character growth, all, all of that.
1: Yeah, and isn't it so much a, a reflection of, of the uh, uh, celebrity culture that we live in? Everybody's got their fifteen minutes of fame, right? And, and you know, you got to—that's the moment when you got to grab for all you can because next week it's going to be on to some other headline. Yeah. Oh. And uh, and in that sense, life is fleeting. But you know but God is is wanting us to build lives of significance not just success. Yeah, so true. I agree. Well, we we just have a few minutes left, but I I can't help but take advantage of this opportunity. You mentioned that you were a quote third culture kid. Mm. You said I call myself a 1.5 generation Korean Canadian American. Right. <laughs> we do a lot in terms of cultural, you know, uh, interfaces and so forth. So you're, you're an expert for a, <laughs> a, you know a Caucasian American, white guy like me. So uh, tell me more about that that, that yeah. 1.5 generation
2: <laughs> so I think only I don't know if I think only Koreans use that phrase <laughs> uh, so you know I was born in Korea but right. uh, I, I moved first to America when I was three and then moved around LA, Dallas, Miami uh, and then at the age of nine moved back to Korea and then just you know tried to understand the culture and the language and at the age of 14 that's when I decided to move to Canada by myself so I ended up going to Vancouver and did my uh, mm-hmm. high school and college years there uh, and then moved down to Portland and then uh, now I'm in Orange County in California. But uh, you know, the best way for me to describe myself, you know, I've been thinking about it because when people ask me, Paul, where are you from? And it's such a hard question. Hard to know what it is. Very, very hard to know because I feel like I don't think it's fully (laughs) Korea or America. So that's why I think, uh, you know, as a third culture kid, it's almost like I have to say I'm a 1.5 generation. Who understands both Korean culture and and speaks the Korean language fluently, but also American Western culture as well, and in a way, uh, defining myself, I guess, like a hybrid in in a way, but I think more and more I've been appreciative of the fact that that's who I am, and that's there's a specific role that I can play.
1: Yeah. Well, you mentioned earlier uh, about identity in Christ. And it seems like that supersedes any ethnic identity or, yeah, or gender identity or any other form of identity. It, it is ultimately uh, something that's that's immovable, which is which is that foundation in Christ. And uh, uh, you know, Galatians, Paul talks about you know, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, Scythian, slave or free, mm-hmm. you know, but male nor female. But Christ is all and in all, and. Uh, uh, and in, in the body of Christ, we have this wonderful opportunity to, to be, yes, from different backgrounds and therefore different perspectives, but in Christ, we have a basis to become one, as Jesus prayed in John 17, to be brothers and sisters yeah. together uh, in Christ. And uh, uh, that's a wonderful truth that we have, a wonderful uh, grace, basically, that we have to do that.
2: Yeah, it is, and I think it's important that people know in this journey of understanding who you are, first and foremost, you have to know whose you are, Mm -hmm. and that we belong to God, and our citizenship isn't from heaven, and uh, having that clarity of our identity is going to be what is going to be the foundation of everything that we do, whether calling or destiny. Um, So, I'm working on a book that actually is going to focus on that for millennials and the next generation. Yeah, keep you posted on it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and we've mentioned millennials several times. Of course, Gen Z is coming on the on the scene now. I I guess many of the students now that you have at Biola are Gen Z, right? Yes, they are. Yeah. How does that differ from millennials in in your experience? Well, I think millennials generally they they had a
2: very negative kind of a reputation, especially on media at least. Yeah. Right. Well, Gen Z, it's still yet to be known, but I think one of the Key defining characteristics is they are very pragmatic and very practical. Mm-hmm. So they are actually more career driven. Um, studies show that, and uh, compared to even millennials and Gen Xers and boomers, and and they are very uh, frugal. Um, as well, and they're thinking about life, and they're thinking about how can I affect change, not in my even you know 30s and 40s, but you know right into being a teenager. Like I think I believe I can use my social media influence or mm-hmm. other ways to affect change. Mm-hmm. So they're a lot more practical and pragmatic. But we, we still have to see you know what it will look like in the years to come.
1: Well, it sounds like a, a, a perfect uh, group for for what you've articulated in terms of what you want to give your life to you yeah. know christian leaders rising to the top of spheres of influence and and uh, discovering their god-given identity and calling and yeah those are your your themes. Yeah, yeah. So you should be having fun in the years to come.
2: Oh, it is. It's been a fun journey, and I loved uh, interacting with any young people and helping them, uh, asking thought provoking questions. You know that they've never probably heard of, but guiding them and really uh, seeing what God can do through them is really what
1: my ministry is about. Wow. Thank you. Well, thanks for being with us today. This yeah. time has flown by, yeah. but I've thoroughly enjoyed being able to talk with you about these matters, and uh, thank you, Paul San. Yeah. Uh, if you have a topic that you would like us to consider on The Table Podcast, uh, feel free to email us at thetable at dts.edu. For The Table Podcast, I'm Bill Hendricks.